Hey, City Church, this is Stephanie Jackson. My husband Josh and I lead the Porter Road Neighborhood Group, and we would love for you to join us either virtually on our Zoom meeting or in person someday when we reconvene again. We've been attending City Church for many years, and we're members, and we have one son, a 21-month-old boy named Jonas. Today's scripture is Philippians 3, 1-11. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hey there, City Church. Um, it's your old friend Drew Martin coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, miss you all and hope you all are doing well. Uh, I know it's strange times that we're all in and um, bring greetings here from Charlotte, both from West Charlotte Church. We appreciate your support over these last several years since we planted, um, but also bringing you greetings from our family. We miss you all. Uh, for those of you that uh, are new at City Church or that we haven't gotten to meet yet, um, our family attended there. We lived in East Nashville and we attended the church from 2011 to 2016. Um, and then we moved the summer of 2016 here to Charlotte uh, to plant a church. And since that time, if you don't know, uh, City Church has been one of our great supporters. And so we we're so grateful for you all in the way um, that you've been with us um, from the time that we planted and the way that you've supported our family over the years. Um, so thank you and greetings. Um, I wish I could be there with you all in person. Uh, I talked with Mitchell a little bit over the last few months about the possibility of coming there to preach in person sometime this year. And so with all this COVID-19 stuff going on, uh, making that impossible, I'm really uh, disappointed and in some ways experiencing some longing, wishing I was there with you right now. And um, I think in some ways that that word longing is a good word, uh, both for the the time that we're in right now and also for the passage that we're getting ready to look at. It's It feels like we're in a time of longing right now, longing to be with people, longing for stability, uh, longing for certainty, longing for health, um, longing for... for uh, jobs and um, lost income, lost time, even even small things. Um, this year, 
we feel a sense of loss. Uh, we our, our youngest daughter Rosie was um, just in a really wonderful preschool class this year, and she had really blossomed in that environment. And um, it was just a disappointing thing for the for the rest of the year to be canceled and for her to come home. We've loved the time with her at home, of course, uh, but it just seems like there was a loss of environment for her. That's just one little snapshot of the kinds of longing, big and small, that we feel right now. Um, so that's kind of the big picture. Um, in addition to that big picture, I, th- I think for us, at least at our church, um, this week we've been thinking about the tragic shooting of Ahmad Arbery. And um, as we've reflected on that, there's longing for so many things, um, longing for his life, longing um, for his family, uh, for justice, for change, um, lament at the racism that's so prevalent in our country and the way it affects so many things, longing for justice. Um, so we've been feeling that this week. I'm sure that you all have been paying attention to that as well, probably feeling longing for other things. I've been paying attention to your news over the last few months, and I know it's just been one thing after another with the tornadoes and now this pandemic and being in the midst of a pastoral transition. Um, so in the community uh, around the world and um, even in even at City Church, there's just all kinds of things that we have experienced over the last week that leave us longing uh, for better times or for stability or for direction or just a clear sense that God is present and working. So to that feeling of longing, we have a passage to think about together, Philippians chapter 3, where Paul expresses his heart's deepest longing. And uh, the thing that stands out to me in this passage more than anything else is that Paul, though he was in prison and though he was in the midst of experiencing persecution, the thing that he longed for most was not uh, to be freed from prison or earthly peace. The thing that he expresses a longing for most in this passage is to know Jesus Christ. And because he knows Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he would have a relationship with God, his Father. And because he has a relationship with God, his Father in heaven, he would have eternal hope. So Paul expresses that longing in this passage, a longing for salvation that comes through relationship with God, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is what he longs for more than anything else. And so I I pray for for you, for me, and for us, as we think about this passage together, that we would be encouraged by Paul's longing, by the things that he says. Um, So we've already heard it read to us this morning. Uh, We'll dive right in. Uh, Paul, in the first two verses, gives two instructions uh, to rejoice and to look out. Um, And then in verses 3 through 11, he expands upon those two commands by reflecting on the knowledge of Christ. Um, So we'll look at each of those sections in turn. Uh, you may have heard it said before at one point or another that the Bible begins with indicatives. It begins by teaching us true things, and then it moves from those indicatives, those true things, to imperatives, what we are supposed to do in response. Uh, but in this passage uh, that we're looking at, we begin with imperatives, to rejoice and to look out. And of course, those commands are built upon all the things that Paul's been saying um, in the verses that preceded But also, he gives these commands knowing that he's getting ready to give more encouragements along the way. But let's look at the passage in order. Let's begin in the way that Paul begins. He begins with commands, with imperatives. He says, first of all, rejoice. He commands the people to rejoice. 
And if you think about it, that's a funny instruction coming from a man who's in prison and experiencing persecution. Uh, but Paul does not, at least at this time, does not uh, think it's the time for lamenting. He thinks it's the time for rejoicing. And he, he invites the people of God, the people in Philippi, to rejoice with him. And even in that first verse, uh, he expresses a little bit of self-consciousness that his sermons and his preaching are the same uh, things over and over again. Uh, but Paul just says he doesn't mind preaching the same sermon over and over again. It's safe for you, he says, um, for me to do that. It's the same old song. Uh, but he knows that we experience the meaning differently of that same old song in different circumstances. So we need to hear the same things that are true about who God is and what God has done in different circumstances. Because as we walk along through life and we experience different things, and then we hear the truths about God, they speak to us in different ways. So Paul says it's safe for him to say the same thing once again, and then in response to invite the people to rejoice. So let's rejoice. Uh, why should we rejoice? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you can rejoice. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then your circumstances are all you have. There's no hope. But if you do have Christ and therefore a relationship with God, then you have an eternal hope and a reason for rejoicing in all circumstances. If you know that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth with no more sickness, sin, or suffering, then you can rejoice in the midst of sickness on this earth because you know this is not all there is. You don't have to fear. We can rejoice even in the midst of loss because we know that ultimately we have everything to gain if we have a relationship with Christ. And so this is not in this command to rejoice. This is not just an invitation to put a smile on or to be happy. Um, it's not like a Hakuna Matata, as much as we might love that song or love the movie that it comes from or the show that it comes from. This isn't just a don't worry, uh, be happy kind of message. There is so much biblical teaching about the appropriateness of lament and protest. So when things are bad, we can observe that they're bad. We can lament that they're bad. We can protest even against them. We can cry out to God um, in the face of injustice or uh, sickness or in the face of sin. So we can lament, we can protest. Um, but as we lament and, and protest, we should also do it with a heart that rejoices, knowing that in all circumstances, even lamentable circumstances, even protestable circumstances, that God is faithful and that he is working and that he has sent his son in order to be our savior. And that if we have faith in him, we have a hope. So we should rejoice in the middle of this pandemic even as we long to be together, and even as we long for stability, and even as we long for our loved ones, and even as we even fear for our own lives, we should still rejoice because of who God is and because God is faithful and because of what God has done. So by all means, think about what you have lost. But as you think about what you have lost and, and as, you, as you actually call to mind specific things that you have lost, as you call them to mind, remember that there is also, in the face of that loss, a Savior, Jesus Christ, who has promised us eternal life and relationship with God our Father in heaven so that we do not have to fear and that we can rejoice. 
So command number one, rejoice. That's Paul's first instruction, to rejoice in the eternal hope that comes through faith in Christ. And his second instruction is to look out, to look out for those who would cause you to forget the reason that you have to rejoice. And the primary thing that would cause us to forget the reason that we have to rejoice is to look not to God, but to look to ourselves. And so he says, look out for these self-righteous legalists. In verse two, he says, look out for these dogs, these evildoers that mutilate the flesh. And the reason he says mutilate the flesh is he's talking about circumcision. Um, There are people in the church who are Jewish by background. And so they've taken the, the Old Testament Jewish sign of membership in God's covenant people. And they have said, in order for you to become part of God's new covenant people after Jesus in the New Testament, you have to first become Jewish by observing these works of the law and by circumcising yourselves. So first become Jewish, then you can become Christians. And so they've confused these works that we can do with the work that God has done through Jesus. And they've made that thing that we can do the most important thing, the sign of whether you're in or you're out. And one of the really interesting things about this tendency to make what we can do the sign of whether you're in or out is that when we make what we do the sign of whether you're in or out, not only is that legalism a self-righteous building up of what we do and a downplaying of what God has done, but that self-righteous playing up of what we do is also exclusive. It excludes people in a way that is not appropriate. Uh, God's covenant community has always been an inclusive one. Anyone who believes is part of God's people. And that was true also in the Old Testament, by the way, whenever circumcision was given to God's people. Um, Whenever someone came into Israel, the command was to believe in the one true God. And if you believe in the one true God, even the foreigner would be circumcised. And the Old Testament is full of story after story of that happening. And so it's not just a new covenant thing after Jesus um, that God, that membership in God's people is inclusive. It was true in the Old Testament too. And circumcision in the Old Testament was always a sign of inclusion in God's people, a sign not of what we have done, but what God has done in order to uh, save us and, and to give us forgiveness of our sins and to give us eternal hope. And so these Pharisees who have turned that Old Testament sign of circumcision into an exclusive sign of what we do by emphasizing works of the law. These Pharisees are the number one people that Paul wants the church to look out for. Watch out, look out for the legalists that make our works the exclusive sign uh, of membership in God's people. Look out for the people that make human obedience the sign of membership in God's people. For Paul, as we'll see as we walk through the rest of the passage, this is a perversion of the gospel good news of salvation, that Jesus Christ has lived the life that we should have lived and therefore has earned the righteousness that uh, provides entrance into heaven. 
and also that Jesus Christ has died a saving death by paying the penalty for our sins. That is the good news of the gospel. Jesus is our righteousness, and Jesus takes away our sin. And when we, instead of looking to Jesus, look to ourselves and try to buy our own works, earn our way to God, we pervert the gospel, we lose our hope, and in the process, we exclude people. And so I think it's a worthwhile question for us to consider where the legalism resides in our own hearts. We are all guilty of making what we can do the thing that uh, provides salvation or entrance into the community. All of us do it. And you can just look at our churches and see the way in which our churches are divided by politics or by race or by class or by taste. And you can see that, uh, that this must be happening Um, that we must be doing something that excludes people. And the thing that we're doing that excludes people very often is thinking that our ideas or our way of doing things or uh, my own personal righteousness is the way things ought to be. And when instead we look to Jesus and to the word of Jesus in the scriptures, uh, we find instead a salvation that comes from God and it invites all people to enter equally. So this is why Paul says to look out. And then along the way, he, he, he rolls out his resume and he says, look, if anybody has reason, if anybody has reason uh, to have earned their way to God, it would be me. Look, look, I'm the, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I am the Jew of Jews. I am zealous for the law. I was a Pharisee. So he rolls out four examples of his ethnic background. And in addition to those, he rolls out three examples of his accomplishment. I am the one who faithfully obeyed the law. I am the one uh, who... Uh, uh, was zealous for the uh, for the community. I was the one who was actually persecuting these believers in Jesus. If there's any faithful Jew, it's me. I am blameless, he says. Um, but Paul wants the people, he wants us to understand that his resume, our resume, cannot earn our standing before God. Legalism cannot save us. So watch out for the false gospel of legalism. Um, that focuses on outward appearances without focusing on the inward state of the heart. Watch out for the legalism that adds to or takes away from biblical commands. Watch out for the Christianity that's more focused on us and what we do than on God and what he has done for us. Watch out. Um, So rejoice and watch out. Look out. Those are Paul's two commands. And the reason that he gives those commands, uh, or I guess I should say the reasons for those commands, comes in the part that follows. Uh, He goes on and says, look, my resume counts for nothing. It is rubbish, verse 7. It's refuse. Um, Some of the old translations said this is, it's dung. And those are pretty good translations. That's a, a very nice literal translation of what Paul is saying. Everything that I could do is completely useless. The only thing that counts, here's his point, the only thing that counts is knowing Christ through suffering. And that's what he goes on to unpack in the rest of this passage. What I have done does not count. What Jesus has done for me does count. Paul counts everything else as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord, verse 8. And he says that he would gladly give up everything that he had, every earthly comfort, every earthly peace, anything that he had accomplished, anything about his background in order to gain Christ. 
Um, he may be in prison, he may be persecuted, but to have Christ is to have everything. So that raises the question, how do you gain Christ? Well, it's not by self-righteousness. We've already seen that. It doesn't come up through a righteousness of our own that comes from obedience of the works of the law. But rather, it's a righteousness from God that comes through Christ and depends on faith. So here we're looking at verse 9. And um, if you look at different translations of verse 9, and some of you may have noticed this in the past, uh, some translations will emphasize the faithfulness of Jesus, and other translations will emphasize the role of our faith in Jesus in order to uh, receive the righteousness that comes from God uh, through Jesus. You know, honestly, either way, uh, both of those ideas are important, and they're all in verse 9, that we receive the righteousness from God through the faithfulness of Jesus in our place, and we receive it by faith. And so all of those ideas are in this verse, and in fact, throughout the New Testament, we see the same things taught. Righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ and depends on faith. When you know God, because of what Jesus has done and not because of what we have done, then it changes our entire perspective on this world. It's like a light switch being thrown on. It's like the world being painted in color after we've only been seeing in black and white. It's like we were blind, but now we can see. When we have our eyes opened to the fact that the God who created this world loved us so much that when we in our sin rejected him and plunged the world into sin and ever since that time have gone on sinning and bringing destruction and evil into the world, that he loved us so much that he sent his only son to live a righteous life for us and to die a righteous death for us in order to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could have eternal life. Whenever we know that truth and through knowing that truth, we come into a relationship with Jesus the Son and through that relationship with Jesus the Son we come into a relationship with God the Father now we have an eternal hope there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God and therefore there is nothing to fear and so at the end of the passage building on those ideas that the only thing that matters the only thing that Paul longs for is to know Christ and by knowing Christ to know God and have salvation Paul builds on that idea by using three phrases synonymously. All three phrases mean the same thing. He says, to know the power of God, number one, is to share in Christ's sufferings, number two, which is to attain the resurrection of the dead. Three phrases, power of God, Jesus' sufferings, and the resurrection of the dead. All three of these things are synonymous. To know one is to know the other's. We know the power of God whenever we see that Jesus suffered. And through seeing that Jesus suffered, we are able to attain the resurrection of the dead. We find life by giving over our life, by pursuing suffering. And we live in a world that longs to avoid suffering. But the Bible says that we actually come to know the power of God and attain the resurrection by knowing Jesus' sufferings and not just knowing about them but living lives patterned after them. Jesus' suffering on the cross saves us, and it is by suffering that we come to understand more deeply the work of Jesus for us. We know Jesus by trusting him and by following him. Suffering strengthens our own faith, Romans chapter 5. It makes us stronger 
James chapter 1. And when we trust in the midst of suffering, it brings comfort to those around us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You cannot know the power of God and you cannot attain the resurrection unless you are willing to depend upon Christ so much that you are willing to follow him wherever it leads. And for Paul, it led to persecution and imprisonment. And so the question would be, uh, what does it look like for us to be willing to love our neighbors, to be willing to suffer for others, to be willing to live self-sacrificially so that others might know the love of Jesus. So as you continue to love your neighbors this week, rejoice. As you continue to live your lives this week in your homes, rejoice. As you gather together in small groups with other people from the church or online, rejoice. And as we do all of these things, look out. Know that in our hearts, there is this constant tendency to make our faith, to make our salvation, to make our relationship with God something that we can earn or something that we can deserve. Look out. Look out for the people who are constantly tempting us to fall into that trap. Not just look out in your own heart, but look out for others. And know that this truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for us displays the power of God through the suffering of Christ and through it, we attain the resurrection of the dead. So as you long for life to resume, stability in your job, income, um, health, (laughs) honestly, as we long for freedom, just a moment of quiet to be able to get out of the house, as we long to experience once again the joy of relationships and all the other joys of life, remember, that all of those things are lost in comparison with knowing Jesus and his benefits. So as you long for stability, whether it's in your own life or in the community or in the church, uh, remember to pray together for yourselves, for your elders, for Mitchell, for the church as a whole. Um, Remember to pray that God would give you this trust in him and that as you all move forward as a church together, that he would also give your community the ability to trust in him, um, to rejoice, to look out, and to pursue the power of God and the resurrection um, through suffering as Jesus has suffered for us. There's nothing that will satisfy our longings except for knowing Christ. There's no way to earn this knowledge or deserve this relationship with God. God gives it to us as a gift. And we know that we have received it through suffering, through our willingness, through our ability, through our perseverance in it. So know that Christ is a gift that satisfies our deepest longing and rejoice this week and look out. Uh, I miss you, City Church. I love you. It's a gift to be able to share this passage with you. And I'll be praying for you this week. Um, Hope to see you soon. Grace and peace in the name of God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.